Nixon Guild Law presents Legally Femtech, hosted by Bethany Corbin. Bethany is a healthcare innovation attorney who works with new and innovative health tech companies that are revolutionizing women's healthcare and improving women's lives. In this podcast, Bethany discusses the practical, legal, and ethical aspects of femtech with the industry's most important voices. This podcast is not intended as legal advice and is not an endorsement of any product or company. Now, here's your host. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Legally Femtech. This week, we're going to discuss part two of our inclusive language and femtech discussion. So very excited to revisit this topic. As you'll recall, last week, we had discussed with Elizabeth Gordon the necessity and importance of diverse and inclusive language. So we're going to continue that conversation with a separate guest today, Belen Copetti, who is the creative director, and she also has a background in advertising. She currently works at Mira Fertility, and she's in charge of establishing the brand's creative and marketing strategies. So she's passionate about ideas that have the potential to change the world. She's been working in marketing and the creative field for over eight years in various industries and just brings a wealth of knowledge to this space. She also guides her team in the right direction to exhibit Mira's ultimate vision across all communication installments and really helps to ensure that Mira is the brand that people want to turn to when they seek fertility care and support. So Belen has a wealth of knowledge that we're going to draw from today to continue our discussion on inclusivity and diversity in femtech. Welcome, Belen. So happy to have you here today. Hi, Bethany. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so thanks so much for joining our discussion on this really important topic. And before we dive into the specifics about inclusivity and diversity and femtech, I would love if you could tell us some more about what Mira is, how your work in that field is inclusive and diverse, and how you're really trying to make an impact on the femtech industry. Okay, great. Yeah. So Mira is a fertility tracker. Right now, we're focused on fertility hormones, tracking fertility hormones, and we really give people the chance to really translate and get in touch with their hormone counts to reach their fertility goals. Right now, we're focused more on people that are trying to conceive. And what we really do is we've really honed in on technology and science that really helps translate these like numerical results and scores into an app, into our app, so that people get their ovulation day, they get their six-day fertile window, so they can reach their goals, all done with 99% lab-grade accuracy. So we have a team of scientists and engineers working behind the scenes at all times to ensure this is something that everyone can access throughout their reproductive care journey and their fertility journey, whatever that looks like. That's amazing. And why is it important for a company like Mira to consider the topics of inclusivity and diversity, even whenever they're developing their product and advertising it? What makes that so important in this space? I think for one thing, it's important because this is something relatively new within the language we use within the fertility industry, right? So of course, women, we have felt a loss of control over our bodies and our hormones over the decades, right? So, and with everything that's going on right now with the Roe v. Wade overturn, and it's just, it's always felt like we have less access to our health data, to our data, 
our reproductive rights, right? So it's important because it's not only a women's issue, right? So, and I'm talking about only about, it's not only a cis women issue, it's a human rights issue when we're talking about access to reproductive health data and fertility data, right? So when we talk about inclusivity and inclusive language within this space, we want to be able to include every type of fertility journey, right? So every fertility journey is unique to the identity and context of the person, and it's different throughout, right? So when we discuss language within the fertility industry, we often do so from a very, and quote-unquote, biological perspective. And that's okay because obviously this is based on science and biology, and, and these are very important pillars of our industry. However, these sometimes these terms fail to include all of the other identities that go through a fertility journey or want access to, or need access to reproductive care. So it's important for health tech, femtech companies to really hone in and talk about and question, are we really speaking to everyone when we speak about fertility? Definitely, that's why I think it's important because we, we need to be able to speak to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And I've even heard some discussions, right, that the term femtech itself is inherently exclusive, right? Because not everybody identifies with that term and that term can have a lot of different meanings. So I think even the way that we position the industry itself may be changing in the future to be more inclusive. And I think what's going to drive that too is a focus on inclusivity by these femtech products. Exactly. And we've always talked about this with our team, right? So yes, we are in the femtech industry because to be honest, femtech, the term itself is new and it also deserves its own space. Women in technology and in technological and science spaces have often been overlooked and we do deserve our own space within the industry and we deserve to be named. However, when we're talking about fertility and reproductive health, which also has to do with femtech because femtech helps people access their data, we want to do it from more of a reproductive health tech perspective, more so than just femme, right? That's absolutely right. And that's a lot of the, you know, kind of debate that's out there today is, is femme being too exclusive. And I think a lot of the consensus is, yes, it is. But at the same time, there hasn't been an industry before that focused so heavily on women's health care. And so this is kind of the first chance that we've had to really emphasize and bring women's health care into the modern medical environment. So it's, it's interesting, right? Because you have the term really bringing insights to women's health, but at the same time being an exclusive term just in and of itself. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's just about letting these things evolve. We're already talking about this right now. So I think it's such a huge step forward. But I still do believe that, yeah, Femtech deserves to be named as well as every other identity that needs reproductive health technology to support their needs and their goals. Absolutely. So tell us a bit more about how standard femtech products and designs are exclusive of the LGBTQ and other minority populations and those types of communities. Yeah, that's actually so interesting because when we were creating our own inclusive language guide, which obviously 
will continue to evolve as we continue to grow and we continue to cater and reach different types of identities and people within the health industry. I think that there's a lot of ways that we can be exclusive, right? So for example, when we talk about infertility, so when we're trying to define who is dealing with infertility, this usually implies that people have unprotected sex for 12 months, which automatically excludes LGBTQ plus people from the narrative, right? Because especially with insurance companies, right? So it's not only just the femtech industry, it's not only just the reproductive healthcare industry, it's it's also about when we're talking about people that deal with infertility, we're just saying that, hey, so you're having unprotected sex for 12 months, this means you're infertile, but what happens to people that don't conceive through intercourse, right? So this is like the even the starting point. And the fertility language, it just needs to change because when we're talking about trans and non-binary folks, the number one challenge they face is that everything is information out there is written for heterosexual people, right? So when we talk about infertility, when we talk about fertility, when we talk about education towards being able to access your data and your hormones and your your overall health information, we're already speaking from just one perspective when there's a lot of people, including single people, that don't necessarily have sex to conceive, you know? So just from the starting point, I think it's important for us to start questioning how we're presenting this issue, right, of infertility, of fertility. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And there's been some examples, even outside of the fertility context, just with kind of sexual tracking apps and period tracking apps at the early stages where some of the icons even for how you logged your sexual experience or just bananas with condoms, like there was nothing else. And if you didn't identify as heterosexual, there was no way to really capture your experience in those apps. I don't think that the designers do it intentionally to be exclusive most of the time. I think it's just, they don't think about it, right? They're not trying to be as inclusive as they could. And that can lead to some long-term exclusion and othering of certain populations that can be pretty problematic. So it's interesting to hear how that actually plays out in real life in terms of fertility. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely don't think it's intentional. However, it's just so important for us to continue informing ourselves and really listening to the people that are on fertility journeys and what their actual struggles are and how their context and their identity really, it has to do with their experience. It makes their experience unique. So it's really important to just keep an open mind and really listen to experiences. Definitely. And so if you're a company that's creating a femtech product, and let's say that you yourself right, are not part of a minority population or the LGBTQ population, how do you make sure that their experiences are being captured within your product? Well, first, I think for me within the creativity space, it's just really about active listening. It's about not thinking that communicating something or creating something is just for one type of experience, but that maybe that issue, there's a lot of people that may experience that within that same, I guess, audience. 
So really digging into and doing your research about who are the other people that are, for example, trying to conceive? What do their experiences look like? What's the day-to-day, right? So really talking to people, going into groups, doing surveys. I know this sounds kind of like research and boring stuff, but we've actually at Mira come to pretty surprising conclusions about our audience through asking questions, right? So how do you feel about this? Do you feel overwhelmed? We've we've even come to, uh, in the past, surveys for findings that say that, I don't know, 39% of people have experienced depression throughout their, their fertility journey. And maybe that's not something we always talk about, right? So it's just about asking questions about really reaching out to your audience. Yeah, I think that's crucial, not only for inclusivity and diversity, but also for every aspect of product design. I've heard so many stories where founders haven't reached out to their audience, right? And conducted that market research that you're talking about that Mira did, and they end up building a product that doesn't even fit or address the needs that consumers actually have. Sometimes there's a huge disconnect, right, between what the founder thinks is the problem and what the end users of the product actually want to help solve their problem. So I think your comment there, right, about active listening, being proactive and outreach, doing market surveys, understanding what your audience needs. I think that's so crucial in every aspect of product design. So truly agree with you on that. Yeah, definitely. I think in being in touch with, because sometimes I think when, when we're really trying to market a solution and it's a great solution and we want to help people, we kind of tend to lose touch with the emotional process people go through when they buy our product or they get in touch with our product in any way. As creators, as marketers, or as founders, we tend to lose touch with these emotions that actually even inspired us to create a product or to create messaging around, I don't know, a campaign, for example. It's so important to not lose touch with those like roots, emotional roots. And that's actually something that really keeps me thinking and saying, okay, so let's go back. Let's circle back to this emotion. Let's circle back to what this experience makes people feel. And so my communication and my branding and my messaging or my product really speaks to people about that and not just a solution, right? I love that. I really like that focus on the journey rather than just here's my end product, right? Good luck. You know, have fun using it. It serves your purpose. Exactly. Yes, for sure. So my next question is, right, so the companies that do put a lot of effort into building inclusivity and diversity into their platforms, right? Maybe they do that market research. Maybe they build a platform that they think is inclusive and diverse, but language continues to evolve, right? And how we categorize different groups of individuals who might be using our products also continue to evolve. How can a company deal with all of these evolving standards that relate to inclusivity and diversity once their product's out on the market? That's a great question, actually. We were actually faced with this challenge last year when we decided, hey, we need to speak more inclusively. And this goes back to the active listening. Our customers are always telling us what they need and what they want to hear and how they want to be seen, right? But once a product is out on the market, like it happened with us, we just started to see how our audience was evolving. And obviously, the world around us evolves. 
and the experiences evolve. So not only active listening, but also we really want to try and find the balance between we're trying to be inclusive and and speaking to everyone. And we're also being humbled by this experience because language is a tool. Language is a tool that will continue to evolve. However, within such sort of quote-unquote biologically based (laughs) industry, it's even harder, right? So we want to be able to find that balance where it's like, hey, we're really trying to be inclusive and we're trying to question our language. However, we understand that we will make mistakes and some people will be offended and some people will buy, you know, not buy from us again or not continue being our customer. It's just a path that we need to pave, right? And also educating ourselves. So educating ourselves and our audience, because it sometimes it will mean losing people, right? But we can't be afraid of this when we're talking about really talking to everyone and making sure everyone is seen. As I said before, this is about human experience. It's not about anything else, really. So circling back to this, it's about active listening. It's about finding that balance. It's about being humble and understanding that as language continues to evolve, it's not going to be something that's set in stone and trying new things, not being afraid. And yeah, sometimes it's going to mean, you know, you lose people along the way. But if it's something you truly believe in, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I like how you just stayed up front, right, that you're going to lose people. You can't make everyone happy. I think there's a lot of founders out there who are afraid of losing people, right? And so they walk kind of a very fine line between pleasing everyone, right, and also doing what's right from a social, ethical, moral perspective with respect to making sure the apps and products are inclusive. So I love how you just said that, right? You're going to lose people. It's going to happen. There's nothing you can do about it. But deep down, right, you know that you're doing the right thing and trying to have a very inclusive human experience. And I'm just curious, you know, as you mentioned, right, diversity and inclusivity are evolving trends, topics, right? What we are allowed to say evolves on a daily basis. And it's inevitable that at some point in time, you will probably inadvertently offend somebody by not having a certain function or design feature that's more inclusive. How do you handle those situations, right? Whenever you have unintentionally been exclusive, what do you do? Do you apologize to the customer? Do you make design changes? How does that process work? Yeah. So last year, we actually received an email from one of our customers stating that she felt a bit excluded, not excluded because of who she was, but she felt a community was being excluded. And she was right. I'm a queer woman. So I felt very sad (laughs) to hear this. And it's definitely about, hey, you're right. I'm not going to try to change your mind about it. And we're going to make the changes that need to be made to include everyone. And that actually inspired our inclusive language guide that we created. So I think we were able to be humbled by that experience and say, yes, it's true. Our main audience is probably heterosexual couples trying to conceive, but what about everyone else? We have to speak to everyone else. I mean, it's it's just not, it's just out of the question, right? And although our language on Mira has never been absolutely exclusive, 
we did have to make some changes because we definitely don't want anyone to feel like they're being left out of the conversation at all. So what we did was actually say, okay, so this is something that's happening. Let's change how we're speaking to people and really accept our mistakes because that's what it's about, especially when you're working with a startup. There's a lot to learn and you just have to be an active listener and really just say, okay, yeah, you're right. We're going to do everything we can to make sure everyone is being heard. So that's when our inclusive language guide, we created that with my team and we are implementing it across all of our website and campaigns and marketing collateral, really acknowledging that any human identity and body is diverse and complex, making every experience unique and that Mira should be helpful for as many people as possible. And even though our product has always had LGBTQ plus users we understood that our language needed to be perfected to really speak to our LGBTQ plus community. I love that. And I love how your company is willing to take that feedback, right? You don't just dismiss it, right? Think, no, my community is inclusive enough, right? I think you're wrong. You actually listen to Mm -hmm. that feedback, right? You make the positive change. So I think that is so impactful. And you also mentioned that Mira has an inclusive language guide. Can you tell us more about that guide? What's in it? Why a guide might be helpful to femtech companies who are navigating this space? Yes, for sure. An inclusive language guide is definitely something that I believe everyone in any company needs. But for the femtech industry, it's also very much important. So our inclusive language guide really goes through everything that we want to avoid saying, certain words that we might not even acknowledge saying, or we don't even notice that we're saying and that this means excluding someone, right? So going back to what you said, it's never intentional. It's really just about everyone's doing their best to continue to evolve with language and actively doing this to make everyone's experiences better. So our inclusive language guide really goes through all of the fertility language. We actually propose new ways of, instead of using women, we want to use people or persons or individuals or, you know, another way of saying if we're really pinpointing on a certain issue, people with ovaries instead of just women, really just it's really just about identifying everyone, being able to speak to that diverse to people, to everyone, right? When we created this, we really wanted to strive to make sure that Mira was seen as a company that is useful and easy to understand by really a wide-ranging and diverse group of people. And that we will continue to develop and, you know, employ our inclusive language across all of our platforms and understanding that no matter your age, your gender, your race, your ethnicity, your education, where you come from, your socioeconomic status or other aspects of people's backgrounds, it doesn't matter. Your experience matters, right? So, yeah, I just think it's important to get this on paper per se and really speak to our teams about it and really question how we're talking to our audience. I agree with that completely. And this has just been so informative, so much fantastic information for the audience. Is there anything else that we haven't covered today that you think Femtech founders should really know or be aware of with respect to inclusivity and diversity? 
I think this is is a powerful time to really question our language use. And it's a time for really putting in the passion into our projects and into the industry to really fight for what we believe in and for ideas that really have the potential to change the world, Uh, narratives that have the potential to change the world. Because our lives are on the line here, you know, like we want to live in a world that is able to be accepting of everyone without, it's just, I just think that we really want to fight for ideas and that and creativity and visions that cater to everyone. Absolutely. And I think that's something that the entire femtech community can work towards in promoting these diverse and inclusive communities. So thank you so much, Belen. It was wonderful having you. you on the show. Just thank you for your insights. Thank you so much, Bethany, for having me. It's been great. And yeah, if uh, anyone's interested, we're still doing our a lot of hard work at Mira. And if you want to visit us, our website is miracare.com. And yeah, you can reach out to me if you have any questions. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune into the next episode. Thanks for listening to Legally Femtech with Bethany Corbin. To connect with Bethany, follow Femtech Lawyer on Twitter and Instagram. Visit her website at femtechlawyer.com and connect with her on LinkedIn. If you found value in this show, we'd really appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time.